Election College, Episode 28, The Election of 1864. In this episode, Lincoln is a shoe-in, or is he? And Copperheads want peace at all costs. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Goff. And what do you know, I'm Ben Smith. Hey Ben. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Election College. Let's get into it. It's funny how our names never change. That is a really good point, Ben. Weird. We could legally change our names if we wanted to. <laughs> how do you know? Maybe maybe we did just for the show. That's true. Am yeah. I who I am? Mm. Mm. These are very deep questions. So it's 1864, and lots of things have happened since our last episode. Yeah, I mean, like, a ton of stuff. We've got 11 states that decide to leave the Union, and they form the Confederacy, or the Confederate States of America. So this is the first time since 1812 that there's been an election while the country is at war. And Lincoln's re-election bid wasn't a guarantee. Hmm. Yeah, we mentioned last time that a lot of people didn't like Lincoln, and that doesn't necessarily go away, even though the the biggest part of the people who didn't like Lincoln left. Um, we'll talk about the Copperheads and opposition in the Republican Party. Um, you know, we'll get into that. Yeah. So the Confederate states, Ben, uh-huh. they're like out of the picture on this one. So we need to just take those 11 states and kind of put those out of our mind for now. Yeah, they're kind of committing treason, so I wouldn't expect them to be able to vote. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, this is an election podcast. So um, there are lots of things that can be said about the Civil War, but we're merely talking politics. And of course, the two intermingle quite a bit, but we are we're going to be bypassing a lot of the battles and, and so on for the sake of the primary focus of what this podcast is. So Ben, the prime directive. Yeah. So Ben, do you remember, um, the vice president? Yeah. Good old Hannibal Hamlin. Yeah. So we mentioned his name briefly in the election of 1860 episode, but he's actually a really interesting guy. Um, this is kind of interesting too about, about the whole situation. He never met, Abe Lincoln until after they were elected in 1860. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. He's from Maine and um, they thought in 1860 that it would be a good idea to have some diversity on the Republican ticket. And so they're like, hmm, what does Hannibal Hamlin think? Let's look at him and bring him in. So first, he's all about the emancipation of the slaves. He just, he's like, yeah, slavery, let's emancipate them. Yeah, and he was all about arming black citizens, which was pretty controversial at the time. Yeah, I would imagine so. I mean, especially for those who want to um, make them slaves. Uh, you don't typically want to arm slaves. 
Uh, Hamlin is a member of Company A of the Maine Coast Guard, and that's a militia unit at the time. Yeah. And so this is where it really gets interesting because the company was actually called up to battle in the summer of 1864. And Hamlin was told that because of his position as vice president, he didn't have to take part in the whole, the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys probably would have bailed out. Uh, definitely now. I think a lot of guys would have bailed out, but Hamlin was, uh, the military man, he opted to serve and argued that he should set an example by doing the duty that would be expected of any citizen. And the only thing he did let them make a concession on was that he was quartered with the officers instead of the the rest of the troops, which, I mean, you really just can't blame him for that, being vice president and all, wanting to be with the, with the other officers. All right. So... Uh, Hannibal reports to Fort McClary in July, and he was taking part in some routine assignments, including guard duty, and then he, uh, took over as the company cook. So, I wonder, I wonder what kind of dishes he made. Probably a lot of rice or something. Yeah. So, uh, he was such a good cook that he was actually promoted to corporal during his service and mustered out with the rest of his unit until mid-September. Yeah, and Mary Todd Lincoln and Hamlin, they, for whatever reason, maybe it was just because Mary Todd was, you know, out there, or maybe they just had some different things going on. They were not huge fans of each other. Yeah, and yeah, Ben, like you said, (laughs) that was the case with a lot of people in Washington at the time. Uh, Mrs. Lincoln had her opinions and people had their opinions about her, but, uh, right. we digress that. So Hamlin, uh, really was influential in the Republican party, uh, especially in Maine for many years to come. And there are a lot more things we could say about him, but what you really need to know is he's not going to run for vice president in 1864 because he's kind of busy. Yeah. He's got a couple things going on. And I mean, that's kind of a nice change for a vice president, right? Right. <laughs> so do you want to talk about uh, the parties a little bit? I love parties. Yeah. So I think so. And yeah. this this is one big political party we're having. So why not? <laughs> well, there was the National Union Party. And Lincoln actually began setting up the strategy for the reconciliation of the nation. And he chooses Andrew Johnson as his running mate. Yeah. So the National Union Party really was the Republicans and the Democrats who were union in favor of the union and, and going to war. Um, so they formed it, this kind of a temporary party, I guess you would call it. Uh, so the national union party platform was, uh, and this is a quote, it called for the, the pursuit of war until the Confederacy surrendered unconditionally. They were for a constitutional amendment for the abolition of slavery they wanted to aid disabled union veterans and they wanted to be um, neutral in Europe, that continuation of that policy. They wanted to make sure that the Monroe Doctrine was enforced. Uh, they wanted to encourage immigration and construction of a transcontinental railroad. So it also praised the use of black troops and Lincoln's management of the war. Yeah, so they were pretty much... Um I guess you could say they were really controversial in some areas and in other areas, pretty much everybody would have agreed with them. Right. And the war Democrats and 
the Republicans who decide to set up this party, they're saying, hey, don't change horses in the middle of a stream. So that's really where this alliance happens. I'm just thinking about that phrase and like I've heard that phrase many, many times, but Mm -hmm. it really does make a lot of sense. Like if you're going across a stream, you're on a horse. I don't know those, those, I never think about those sayings as I'm saying them. Uh, so there's some different factions going on in the party. (laughs) There's some different factions going on in the party. We've got Salmon P. Chase, Benjamin Wade, and Horace Greeley. We talked about Horace Greeley previously. Uh, they oppose Lincoln's nomination on the grounds that he simply can't win. He just, he's not going to win. We're not going to nominate him. Right. So, uh, Salmon Chase, he, uh, was actually Lincoln's secretary of the treasury. And if you ever have an opportunity to read about Lincoln's cabinet, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, but Chase gives up, uh, really after his home state of Ohio, uh, the Republican party there endorses Lincoln. So he's kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And some, some people say he was just kind of a guy who was hungry for power. And so what better power, what better way to get power? than to oust the most powerful man in the nation, right? Yeah. So uh, he actually designed the greenback demand notes, which was the first federal currency that we had. And then, hey, why not? Let's just put my own face on the paper currency so people will know who I am. That's a great idea. It makes perfect sense. So I, I would just love to have my face on money. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> So anyway, uh, the party nominates Abraham Lincoln and Andrew Johnson to be his running mate. And Lincoln really, at this time, he was seeking to broaden his base of support and was also looking ahead to Southern Reconstruction. Yeah, it's amazing that even in the midst of this gigantic bloody war, Lincoln isn't just thinking about the next step, but he's thinking about three steps ahead, uh, you know, bringing the South back into the Union establishing the country as a whole and bringing everything back around. And that just continues to be the the drum he beats all along. Yeah. And really what better way to have Southern reconstruction and try to have reconciliation between the States than to get a Southerner uh, to be your running mate. So Andrew Johnson, uh, he was really an adept uh, military governor of what was called occupied Tennessee uh, he chooses Johnson to be his running mate, and we'll say more about Johnson in later episodes, but at the time, it really looked like a shrewd move, and Lincoln being the shrewd politician that he was, um, yeah, that was a good move at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, we have the Radical Republicans, and we know that members of national political parties are always unified, mm-hmm. but then we have these other people who aren't. No way, Ben. I know it's it's really strange, but it happens every now and then, like always. <laughs> so in the mid 1850s, uh, we actually see a group of Republicans who, believe it or not, took exception to the establishment. That never happens. No, that's just crazy talk there. <laughs> so these radical Republicans uh, who... Uh, People in the South actually considered them conservatives, and in the North, they were considered to be liberals. Um, they strongly opposed slavery. Yeah, and after the war, they actually really distrusted anybody who was an ex-Confederate 
and wanted really harsh penalties for all the former rebels and anybody who was involved in the Confederate states. Yeah, so they strongly supported civil rights and voting rights for free slaves, uh, otherwise known as freedmen. And during the war, they often opposed Lincoln. Yeah, they weren't big fans of anybody he chose to be a general. Um, they definitely didn't like that uh, George B. McClellan was his top commander. Uh, a lot of people didn't end up liking that, actually. Right. <laughs> uh, they didn't. They didn't like Lincoln's <laughs> efforts to bring back states into the Union. Um, they had their total own Reconstruction plan, which we'll talk about. Uh, so they just weren't always on the same page of th- as things. Yeah, and as you can imagine, they really didn't like the appointment of Andrew Johnson to be their running mate. So who do they nominate? And <laughs> none other than. John C. Fremont. Remember that guy? Yep. Yep. He was, uh, he was the one who abandoned his political campaign in September of 1864, just in time. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because, you know, we talk about the, the whole cabinet and my goodness. I mean, there's a lot, a lot that could be said, but Lincoln's postmaster general, Montgomery Blair, let's just put it this way. Fremont didn't care for him too much. So Lincoln. <laughs> brokered a deal in which he said, okay, Blair is out. You're fired. Right. And, Uh um, and this was very much just a, a shrewd, another shrewd political mood on Lincoln's part. He gets rid of his friend, but he also wins over these radical Republicans by doing that. So, um, Blair is out, but Actually, they do remain, Blair and Lincoln do remain friends afterwards and their families were, you know, they'd have cookouts and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely barbecue. and Yeah. So Lincoln, he's pretty shrewd. He's pretty visionary and, uh, he seals up that, that whole Republican base, uh, because of that shrewd maneuvering. I think you've used the word shrewd like 85 times so far. Lincoln, this episode. Lincoln was very shrewd. But it's true. Yeah. I mean, shrewd makes me think of shrew, which always makes me think of bad things. Oh, it makes me think of Dwight Schrute. Oh, who well, wasn't too shrewd? I can see that too. No. But. Well, there were there were occasions. Anyway, <laughs> let's forget about all that. We needed some the relief then. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> the Democrats are split. Uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Between two factions, we've got the War Democrats and the Peace Democrats. And then within these groups, hmm, I bet they're totally unified, right? Of no. course. Oh. You've got even more, you've got even more divisions. And some want to negotiate peace and they don't want to devastate the South and others want to completely obliterate it. <laughs> yeah. So you know what the best thing you can do, Ben, when you have a platform that's a peaceful platform? You know what the, no, the best that? thing you could ever do is? Hmm. I'm not sure what. You get a general like George B. McClellan. Uh-huh. You get him to be your nominee. Yeah, because he is all about continuing the war and restoring the union. Yeah. That's a, that, that sounds peaceful to me. That sounds, yeah. Great. So, uh, you want to talk about the Copperheads a little bit? Yeah, I think that's appropriate. The Copperheads are a faction of the Democratic Party and, uh, mostly from the North, people who were, who were from the North, uh, who opposed the Civil War. And they wanted a peace settlement with the Confederates, um, at all costs, really. Yeah. And they weren't shrewd like Lincoln. 
Uh, I'm going to get slapped, um, for saying shrewd so much. So, but anyway, uh, the copper, the Republicans called the copperheads anti-war stance venomous, like a copperhead. So that sounds kind of insulting, right? So copperhead support increased when the union armies were doing poorly and decreased when the union won great victories. So, just remember about these guys is they were all about peace at all costs. Peace at all costs, including war. No, wait, that's right. not right. Uh, <laughs> there was also another party called the Radical Democracy Party. Uh, we're having a lot of parties here. Yeah. Uh, they were in favor of getting Lincoln out of office. So they were the ones who nominated Fremont. And it, it is kind of funny, but the place where they were going to have their convention uh, in Ohio was actually double booked with an opera troupe. Oops. Mm, and these guys kind of just weren't terribly organized and they really didn't have that much of an impact at all, but they were there. Yeah. They should just be honored that we're mentioning them today. That's right. So really for much of 1864, Lincoln himself believed that there was really little chance that he'd be reelected. I mean, the Confederate forces, they were winning Big vac- victories and casualties were high. Yeah, I don't know um, where it was I read this. I read it when I was looking over some notes for this episode, I think. But uh, bec- he did so many things um, the way he did them because he thought he wouldn't be reelected no matter what he did. So he just kind of did what he believed was right and mm-hmm. said, forget politics. I'm just going to do it. And it seems like it worked out for him, right? But, um, yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's always it's always good when your side wins, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's always good unless when, your side's the wrong side, of course. Well, yeah. But yeah. Lincoln at times wasn't even sure that he was on the right side. Right. So, anyway, it's also good when your opponent, politically speaking, isn't unified, which is kind of a recurring theme throughout our nation's history, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, like we said before, the Democrats are not terribly unified, but they end up nominating McClellan, who doesn't even really agree with the party's platform. And then the Democrats start influencing Fremont's campaign, and they say, um, yeah, well, the whole the whole idea of the union with slavery included was really just appalling to Fremont, and he sees that he should defeat the Democrats and actually withdraws from the race to support Lincoln. Yeah. So it's very much a, an issue where, um, with Fremont really bringing back the Republicans to be all together, um, the Democrats are just kind of stuck there in the corner. And then the battle of Atlanta happens and that really shuts the copperheads up. (laughs) I mean, this is a huge union victory Atlanta falls on September the 2nd, and Lincoln's looking pretty good. Yeah, and the Copperheads definitely don't look great. Uh, Lincoln then goes on to make uh, the emancip- emancipation of the slaves a central issue. Uh, we all, you know, we know about the Emancipation Proclamation and all that good stuff. Um, and, man, here comes the election. Turns out landslide victory. Yeah. So we mentioned that the 11 Southern states that seceded, they didn't participate. Um, and Lincoln wins all the states except Kentucky, Delaware and McClellan's home state in New Jersey. 
So we've got 212 electoral votes for Lincoln and 21 for McClellan. Sorry. Ouch. 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 So, um, one thing that's kind of noteworthy about this, uh, election also is that there were a couple of portions of Tennessee as well as Louisiana, um, that were reconstructed. It was, it was like, okay, union. It, it looks like, uh, the South isn't going to win. They did choose electors, but Congress was like, no, you're, nope, sorry, you're with those guys. <laughs> so they didn't count those votes. Right. Right. It's kind of crazy because obviously Lincoln was elected to two terms. We've just finished talking about that. But I often forget because of the timing of things where the end of the war fell, where the beginning of his second term started, even the fact that he got a second term sometimes escapes me. It's just such a strange time period where most of not most, I guess. A large majority or a large portion of the states don't even vote. Lincoln is on the side of the North, essentially, uh, I guess you could say, and therefore, therefore wins the majority of the vote. But at the same time, it's like he almost didn't win at all. And it's just, a, it just seems like a really crazy jumbled time. And I get the timing of things out of whack sometimes thinking that the war ended at after his first term or during his first term. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, there's, there's all kinds of crazy things going on too. Um, you know, we didn't mention it in this episode, but in the last episode where we were talking about secession and uh-huh. the, the issue of West Virginia comes up and basically what you have there is a situation where Somebody is wanting Virginia's votes, right? They're, they're right. wanting two senators from a state that is part of Virginia, but not the part that goes to the Confederacy. So they actually form right. a state. And, and like we mentioned in that episode, you know, half of West Virginia was actually sending troops to the Confederacy. There's, there's just a lot of different dynamics and Kansas, uh, enters the union during this phase as a free state. And, you know, we know, we know what happened there with, you know, people from Missouri, which never left the union, but they were sending people over to Kansas to vote to be a slave state. So all kinds of craziness going on here. Speaking of West Virginia, it's kind of funny. I remember one time, I don't know, Jason, this might have been five or ten years ago now, but just out of nowhere, you said, you know what my problem with West Virginia is? It's not really a state. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always stuck with me. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, it is, it is a state and there's a lot of reasoning behind it and, right. um, no matter how you feel about West Virginia, being from Kentucky, we're quite fond of West Virginia because we bear the brunt of a lot of jokes and we can always, <laughs> we can always say, Hey, West Virginia. But I'm sure if you're from West Virginia, if you're a mountaineer, uh, or if you're a thundering herd fan from Marshall, um, we appreciate the fact that you exist and we're glad that you were born during this era. Regardless of the circumstances. Yes. Well, yeah, I think that's everything we have, isn't it, Jason, for this episode? I mean, we have lots more, but everything we're going to talk about. Yep, that's it. 
Right, well, make sure you check out our website, Election College. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Election College. And I don't, I don't know, isn't there something else, like one other thing maybe that people could do and help us out? Uh, they could probably head over to iTunes and hit the star rating button. And yeah, if you've got like 30 seconds, give us a little review. We'd really appreciate it. We love the feedback and we really do read your comments when you leave them on any of our social platforms. So do it, please. All right, everybody, this is Ben. And I'm Jason. Thank you very much for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.